0: Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all
1: things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Fuse.
0: Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer, Jim Hill, and my co-host, Dustin Fuse, and I are recording this podcast on Saturday, September 21st. Mind you, if everything had gone according to plan... Nance and I would be out in Indiana today at the Indy Disney Meet, which uh, is this terrific fan event, which is held annually at the Hamilton County 4-H Fairgrounds. Uh, It benefits Give Kids the World Village at Kissimmee, Florida. Unfortunately, as you can hear by my voice, (laughs) I came down with the creeping crud, which basically made uh, making that two-day-long 14-hour drive out to Noblesville, Indiana impossible, which... Which made me feel doubly bad, both for being sick and also for leaving the, the Disney, indie Disney meat folks in the lurch. And I apologize for anybody who, who came by the fairgrounds to see me. And hopefully, Nancy, and I will be back next year. And in fact, Dustin, maybe next year we can bring you down there because it's, it's a great take. In and we, we normally try and record a podcast live there in front of an
1: audience. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I was looking at the lineup that was going down there. They had Yeehaw Bob. They had obviously the the couple of podcasts that you were going to do with Aaron Adams and Dan Z was there, right?
0: Yeah, and well, actually, Dan is going to be on the big stage there with Lou Mangello, so it's, it's wow. they
1: get to see.
0: You know, fun people. And yeah. but again, I just feel bad for dropping out at the last
1: minute like that.
0: I think we all learned from Typhoid Mary. And I just I did not <laughs> want to get Indiana sick. So,
1: yep. And I think they would appreciate that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure Dan and Aaron will will be able to represent the Jim Hill Media podcast network as uh, well as they can.
0: Well, anyway, it's it's uh, obviously again. apology has been far too long between shows here, folks. Lots of Universal-related news for Dustin and I to cover here. So why don't we just jump into it, Dustin? You sent along that piece of info about the Orlando Utilities
1: Commission. Do
0: you want to take the ball here and explain what happened? Yeah,
1: so it looks like what's going on is uh, Universals, they're trying to keep all of their information close to their chest. As Tom Schroeder, VP of Corporate Communication, says uh, over at Universal Orlando Resort, when he says we're in a very competitive business and aggressively protect our trade secrets, that's incredibly true. What's come out is that um, Universal is asking the five Orlando Utilities Commission employees to sign non disclosure agreements. And that's something that's different than normal, right? I guess starting in
0: November, of uh, 2018 and then continuing through May of this year over several different meetings they asked five different employees Mm -hmm. to sign NDAs about the Epic Universe project, the uh, the theme park that they're building across the way from the Orange County Convention Center and the problem here is that these are public employees the rules that apply you know in regard to These are public records. Public employees are working on a project, so the Sentinel that broke this story. Mm -hmm. And public records are a reporter's friend. And the fact that here were public employees signing NDAs, that really kind of rubbed the the Sentinel the wrong way. And but as you said, Schroeder mentioned, you know, this is
1: a very competitive business and they're Well you're you're getting folks who are they're Public employees, they're paid by the, the taxpayer and by, you know, all of these, the commission that's doing work. And these public employees who are working for the, uh, the utilities commission, they're working on a project that, first off, hasn't been completely signed off on. Like, they're looking at this project that still hasn't had every single piece of the theme park signed, sealed, delivered, there's a general consensus on what the park will look like, but we still don't know. It's a very fluid situation at this point, correct? Tom Williams, the chairman and CEO of the Universal Parks and
0: Resorts, he spoke just last week at a a Bank of America Merrill Lynch conference. I, I want to say it was an entertainment communications and, and I'm forgetting the exact N- nomenclature that we use for this conference out in L.A., but yeah, he in talking about uh, what was going on with Epic Universal. It's you know, it's like, look, we haven't announced the content in terms of the intellectual property or even the timing because it's senseless to do so. I mean, why tell the competition what you're doing, and beyond that, why risk deferring attendance? That makes no sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: I was fascinated by him mentioning deferring attendance, because if we can pivot just to the situation at Disney, uh, particularly uh, Disneyland Park and Disney's Hollywood Studios, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've been paying attention to what people are saying about Galaxy's Edge and how even now in California, when basically all of the annual pass holders can get into Black Spire Outpost. And face it, you know, that was never an issue in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And there's been this sort of constant murmuring about where are the crowds? And the belief in-house at Disney right now is that in hindsight, it was a mistake to open this land without the marquee attraction, which of course is Rise of the Resistance. Yep. There's a, supposedly a lot of folks to, who have... Decided. Well, I'm not going to travel all the way to Orlando and see a half completed land. So they're putting off their trips to both the California park and the one in Florida. And which is why, you know, if you talk with anybody in Imagineering, they are working 24 seven, and they are doing their damnedest to make sure that Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance meets its previously announced opening dates. Which, uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, it, it's December 5th yep. for the Orlando version. And then the Anaheim version doesn't actually open till the new year, January 17th,
1: right? Exactly. And you and I have heard the exact same thing with regards to employee or cast members' uh, shifts being either cut or dispersed into different areas within the park. So they're being cross trained in order to create, you know, at least part time, full time hours. We've also seen a, a significant uh, change in the narrative that's coming out by way of media organizations. Prior to this, it was always a discussion of how Rise of the Resistance was going to be the, the marquee attraction, and you want to be there to see this experience. And Galaxy's Edge, yes, as a whole, with Rise of the Resistance, would be amazing, but if you open it before rise the resistance is there you're gonna get the narrative that's in the media saying hey wait just wait Mm. and we're seeing that i'm hearing it from friends who work in the park who were there on they're on the opening team and they're Mm. as excited as they were to get the news that they were going to be in this team for opening they were also like we were over prepared for what was going to happen and we didn't even think that this was going to be a, a concern. We thought the crowds were going to be there. Well, mm-hmm. that's not quite what happened. This past summer we also had Hagrid's
0: magical creature motorbike adventure open at Islands. Yep. That had more than its share of operational issues. You and I have discussed at length about how they'd shifted from a morning opening to an afternoon opening so they could deal with the tech issues. And have you been keeping tabs on that? Is that doing any better in regard to longer operating hours or more consistency?
1: Uh, I've heard the consistency has gotten better, but we are talking about a, a location where what's in the news is still kind of top of mind for folks. So they're mm. not having the same kind of expectation of, oh, we're going to be spending 10 hours in the line at Hagrids. We know what to possibly expect, which is actually why you're seeing a lot uh, a lot more of a, uh, a discussion on, do we get a day pass or do we go to a multi-day pass, focusing on the multiple parks, just because, well, what happens if we show up and uh, Hangarids is not running? Well, you're not getting that disappointment. So it could actually work out in in Universal's favor that folks are going to go out there and buy the annual pass versus buying a a one- or a two-day ticket just to to Mm. save face.
0: When the Wizarding World initially opened in June of 2010... Yeah, I mean, Forbidden Journey wasn't the most reliable attraction in the world. It would go down sometimes for a whole day, sometimes for a couple hours, but it was running. And the other aspect of it, when you went into the original Wizarding World, you walked into Hogsmeade. And we all knew Hogsmeade because we'd seen it in the Harry Potter movies or we'd read it in the books. Likewise, Hogwarts Castle, you know, we'd seen it from the movies or read it in the books. And here's Batu, a planet we've never been to before. I mean, yes, there are elements that are similar. It's got a cantina and, you know, it's got the Millennium Falcon. And we, of course, know that from you know, the original trilogy mm-hmm. and, you know, the next set of films. But in hindsight, it really does look like it was a mistake to assume that Star Wars In and of itself, was enough that people maybe did really want to go to Mos Eisley or Cloud City, Mm -hmm. someplace they'd seen from the films, and that I can't share names of who I've been chatting with, but there's there's at least one more Star Wars land coming, Mm -hmm. and that's supposed to be built right alongside. Frozen Land at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. And evidently, some quite serious discussions about Let's be a lot more specific with this one.
1: I don't know if you've talked about it before, but we brought up uh, over on the the other show that I do the difference between what the media discussed at D23 and then that Mm. secondary media expo that happened with Disneyland Paris why it wasn't included in the same experience, why there wasn't a lot of conversation about Frozen or Star Wars Galaxy's Edge or the Marvel campus going to Disneyland Paris, why there was nothing at D23. And then within a couple of weeks of that experience, why we got this media expo where all this amazing concept art and plans and everything were, were put out. And I just find it really funny thinking about the the correlation between Universal and Disney on this point where there are different media markets and there's also a lot more conversation about traveling overseas. And I could really see how Star Wars Galaxy's Edge over in Paris will do different business than in uh, stateside as you're going to see with... The various universal properties as they travel around the globe. It was just an interesting conversation that we had, and I was I was wondering if you had any insights into that.
0: The one thing to always remember when you talk about Disneyland Paris is that Disneyland is partnered with this consortium of international banks. I want to say there's thirty of them. In a lot of ways, Disney is constantly dealing with the fact. That because there are these thirty banks involved, and and in terms, these banks have investors that actually have to sign up on as or sign off on how the bank spends its money. Mm -hmm. They are forced often to be much more open and upfront about what they're doing. In fact, I remember prior to Disney even officially announcing the original version of the Ratatouille attraction that if you knew which bank to go to, they literally had in the lobby the model and the concept art for the attraction before Disney even had admitted that they were doing it. And because there was language in the deal to the effect of, look, well, if we're going to do something, we have to let our investors know in advance and you know, give them the right to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. So I guess the more interesting question now is, where's the bank where all of the Marvel campus art and models are located? Because the person who finds that
1: discovers the gold mine. Yeah. It's like, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Oh, there she is. She's in a bank lobby go. in uh, mm-hmm. two blocks away from the, the Eiffel Tower. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, getting back to Epic Universe project yeah. now.
0: So back to Tom Williams. He's talking at this Bank of America Merrill Lynch conference. And he's like, look, we're hard at work, we're doing our research, we're fully planned the park, and we're you know what we're doing right now is we're grading the site and preparing the land, installing infrastructure. As a throwaway, Tom let slip how going forward, Universal is going to educate the public about they now have a theme park and a resort that's scattered around a good chunk of you know the iDrive area. So the resort that we know today, the, the place where the Universal Studios Florida theme park is located, likewise Island of Adventure, City Walk. And the original hotels to Portofino, the Royal Pacific, the Hard Rock, Cabana Bay, Sapphire Falls, and the Aventura. That's all going to be known as the North Campus. Makes sense. All right. Meanwhile, that 30-acre chunk uh, along I Drive where Endless Summer is built or being built, that's going to be known as Mid-Campus. And then the 750 acres off of Universal Boulevard, across from the Orange County Convention Center, that's going to be the South Campus. So going forward, getting the public on board with the whole South Campus, North Campus, Mid Campus idea...
1: How are they going to handle transportation? As soon as you, you brought up the mid-campus and the 30 acres, mm-hmm. the first thing that came to my mind as a transportation and knowing Disney the way that uh, we both know it, I think that's going to end up being the hub for the two other campuses kind of feeding guests into that spot. And then they will distribute from that point because it's, it's almost that mid, mid-hub area. And especially 30 acres versus the, the top, the 740 and then the 750, that's a great spot to have almost that mid spot with a bus transportation hub and then whatever other styles of transportation they're going to be bringing in, which I've heard a couple options, but. The challenge with what you're saying there, don't, don't get me
0: wrong, right? on paper, that's a wonderful idea. But again, you've got 740 acres on the North Campus, yep. you've got 750 acres on the South Campus, and just 30 so far in the old Wet and Wild site. Now, I've particularly been fascinated by the concept of Universal willing to take a loss on those rooms in Endless Summer for seven years Mm -hmm. with the idea of getting people addicted to an affordable, highly themed Universal Resort right on I Drive. The unsaid portion of that plan is... To basically by keeping the cost of getting a room at Surfside or Dockside cheaper than anything else that's out there, and I drive is that perhaps one or two of the hotels around there will will go under, and then Universal will be able to snap those up for property that they can additionally develop. So your transportation hub idea is viable, Dustin. The downside is it means that a couple of hotels have to go under to make room for this transportation hub. To my knowledge, that hasn't happened
1: yet. And we have talked about a a number of the, I guess, ideas in the past that Universal has had the opportunity to buy places like SeaWorld. And that's coming back to kind of bite them a little bit at this point. But, you know, as the, the property values go up, as soon as uh, Universal announced Epic Universe and now have started to really showcase this campus area mm-hmm. which anytime we talk about campuses it just brings me back to university and it's just mm-hmm. like oh going from one campus to the other how stressful is that they're going to try and make it as easy as possible but oh just that going back to the a time long ago but I don't know if if they're going to be able to pick up the parcels of land cheaper now than they did 2 months ago prior to this announcement
0: that that is true but let's also talk about something else that Tom dropped at this this conference out in LA sure. and that you and I looked at the concept art for Epic Universe and obviously noticed the big hotel mm-hmm. you know toward the back which is going to serve as sort of the projection mapping screening for the the nightly fountain show that's presented there. But Tom mentioned that there are actually going to be two on-site hotels, which will each feature 750 rooms. Mm-hmm. So if we factor in the 2,050 rooms that are going to be available for visitors to the Universal Lander Resort once Dockside goes live next spring, summer, we're still hearing that, right? That's, that's the time frame?
1: Uh, yes, that's about it. Sorry, I was trying to okay. figure out the uh, doing a quick Google search to see how many rooms hmm. Disney has.
0: Last I recall, I want to say twenty nine thousand go thereabouts.
1: Well, yeah, because they also bring in all of the Disney Springs resort numbers into that. So it's it's always a, a, a fluctuating number, but it was interesting just to see whether or not they're they're making that play to if not go Equal, at least be in the Mm. same ballpark.
0: When these two hotels on the South Campus go live, if you factor in the Dockside Hotel, that then gives the Universal Orlando Resort over 11,000 on site rooms available to guests. And which, to Tom's way of thinking, is a very smart play. And again, quoting directly from what he said at the the Bank of America Merrill Lynch conference earlier this month. Close to 95% of the people who stay in our hotels also go to our theme parks, buy tickets, and and they buy multi-day tickets. So it's a very solid hotel business in its own right, and it's great for the parks as well because it takes away uncertainty. If you're in the hotel that's next to that theme park, you're most likely going to go to that theme
1: park. Yeah, you're in the bubble. Yeah.
0: If they're staying at Universal, it's less likely they're going to go up the road to Mickey. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, you got to acknowledge that Disney has the jump on Universal. They've been in this market since October of 1971. They've gotten really, really good at creating artificial reasons to make people come to their resort at times of year when, say, attendance would normally be soft. In, In fact, just this year is the 25th anniversary of the first Walt Disney World
1: Marathon. Uh, I remember you telling this to to Len, um, how in the very first marathon you were there and the folks at Disney didn't understand what marathoners do right before they start oh, running. Yes. And that story is hilarious. The polite
0: way of putting this, they mark their territory. <laughs> yes, they didn't have nearly enough porta-potties. Yeah. Also, the other thing I thought was interesting, Disney didn't know what to do Runners, I guess, once they get started, they throw off whatever
1: they're using to keep them warm. Yeah, they shed their clothing as they're going.
0: Yeah, and Disney was like, what do we do with these? Do we take them to Lost and Found? Are they ever coming back for them? Or, you know, if we suddenly have a thousand sweatshirts. This is, or, excuse me, there were 554 people who took part in the first one. So 500 sweatshirts, what do we do with these <laughs> things? So Disney managed to turn a very quiet weekend in January into an annual event. In fact, the park sell out, the hotel sell out and now it's a full weekend event. This year, for example, it runs through the 8th through the 12th for 2020, the upcoming one. It was Dustin who actually came across the copyright for the, what is it, Running Universal thing? We discovered that last year. Yeah,
1: that was a team effort, team effort, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we stumbled upon the, the trademark, and it was one of these like, oh, Universal's done marathons before, and we realized mm-hmm. that the after really scoping down, it's like, no, there's, there's more to this. This is Universal's mm-hmm. attempt, and it's been successful, at, at what we've seen, to basically go against uh, Run Disney. We had our the first event,
0: the minion 5K, on May 11th of this year, and that was such a success. Two days later, Universal Hollywood announced the second run, Universal event, which was the Jurassic 5K, along with a kids 1K, and that was supposed to happen on November 16th of this year. They get such a huge response, and a lot, you know, a lot of this is because of people who went to the the Minion Run. In fact, my friend Dana uh, was telling me how much he enjoyed doing it and how much fun it was on to run to the park and through the, the lower lot and all that. Mm-hmm. So they got such a strong response to now this a Jurassic World-themed event that due to the response, they added a second day. And, and in this case, it's a Jurassic World 10K, and that's going to be held on November 17th of this year. What I find intriguing about this date, picking the 16th to the 17th of November out in Hollywood, is, again, if we pivot to what we were just talking about with uh, Walt Disney World and how they picked that weekend in January, right after the holidays, by the way, reaching back to 94 when Disney launched the uh, its marathon, they deliberately picked this weekend after the holidays when attendance at the resort was really, really soft because all of the seasonal entertainment that happens in late November, early December is over. And, you know, it's, it's, I think this even predates Flower and Garden. Oh, wow. You know, but if you look at it from a universal point of view, and particularly from Hollywood, their Halloween Horror Night event ends on November 3rd. And there, the West Coast version of Grinchmas doesn't even start up. Till the first weekend of February, so there's there's this this soft spot in their calendar that just lends itself beautifully to throw a marathon event in there, do a weekend, create an artificial reason to get people to come out to the parks. Which it's not necessarily stealing the Disney playbook, but it's it's, it's using looking
1: it. At, you know, yeah, you know, tried and true methods. And speaking of tried and true, did you see that um, Universal? Added one more day for the uh, the Halloween Horror Nights, so it looks I like did. what is it, September seventeenth? There was a, a story out there from the uh, the Sentinel that basically said it's getting one day longer. It looks like they've added Monday, October twenty first. So that's total yeah. event nights to forty two, mm-hmm. which already was a record breaking year. So now adding another one, that's just it's like it's never going to stop. <laughs> but it's it's really cool to see.
0: Uh, well, when we get to the second half of the show today, we'll t- actually talk a little bit about that because when you do Universal Orlando Resort and compare it to Universal Studios Hollywood, it turns out okay, they got commonality in some rides and some shows and mm-hmm. attractions and and that sort of thing. But the hard reality is they they're two different animals. In fact, pivoting again to Universal Orlando sure. Resort. Again, we've got the Dominion 5K, it did so well. You know, we've got this Jurassic World thing coming up in November, so it's not really surprised that Universal Orlando wants to get its first running Universal event up out of the ground. But what's intriguing is when they decided to do it, and that's the February 1st and 2nd of 2020, which, again, if you look at the calendar, Dustin, that's the first weekend of Florida's largest party, which is, of course, what the Universal Lander Resort calls its Mardi Gras celebration. Yeah. It's kind of a different theme for the event. They're calling it the Universal Epic Character Race. Okay. Can't help but notice we're starting to walk the epic name out there. It's going to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. They've got a couple of years, and they want to get people used to the idea of epic entertainment. They got ahead of this launch of this epic park. Yeah. If you've been to Mardi Gras at Universal, it's a heavily decorated event. And what they're talking about here is there's a 5K and a 10K. Yeah. And that's going to run through both Isle of Adventure and Universal Studios Florida. And opening weekend of Mardi Gras, which, uh, you know, traditionally is fairly well attended. And now, of course, this will undoubtedly be held early in the morning. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But we're still talking about hotel rooms and people wanting to stay on property. And the 5 and 10Ks, those are usually, what, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, starting for 6? Like, yeah. those are early, early things. And the hotels, if they're having those two separate uh, crowds, which, let's be honest, mm-hmm. folks who go to a running, uh, a marathon event, it's a little bit of a different crowd than folks that are going to a... Uh, uh, a nighttime Mardi Gras concert with Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Like, it's just, it's different crowds. One of the more
0: successful Disney-running events mm-hmm. is actually held in the fall during Food and Wine. I, I, I mean, uh, forgive me, I, I may be getting the name wrong here, but it's Dine and Dash, and you leave Epcot, you you run away from the you come back, and you celebrate... Having completed this athletic event by getting a glass of wine, getting a little plate of food. So, you know, in a weird sort of way, maybe it is a smart choice to do attach this to the opening of Mardi Gras. I don't know. If it were me, I'd I'd go at the other end of Lent, but I'm funny that
1: way. And I'm a big fan of the the wine and dine without the running, but that's just me. (laughs)
0: By the way, folks, if you're interested in getting in on the inaugural Epic Universal character race, by the way, that's the way they're describing it. It's a character race. In fact, as you run the route, what they say is you will be surrounded by some of the more iconic characters in pop culture. Anyway, if you type in Running Universal to Google right now, you'll then gain access to a webpage that allows you to be among the first to be made aware of this weekend long event in February 2010. Speaking of things that are made of an advance, when we get back from this commercial break, Dustin, I'm going to talk about a contest I'm sure Universal Joint listeners are going to want to get in on. Dustin, before we get started here, I I wanted to touch briefly on the Dark Arts at Hogwarts Castle show, which which I think you and I talked about how we were so excited that this cool show from Hollywood that featured these drones that were then going to form a patronus over the castle, they were coming to Florida and we were really looking forward to this because since that show debuted this past April out in Hollywood, it's all... That Harry Potter fans could talk about how cool it was to see, be in the park when, you know, they they have Harry, say, you know, Aspectus Patronus, and, you know, you see the the stag form over the castle. Mm -hmm. The show debuts on the 14th -hmm. of this month at Islands, and... No drones. No drones. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been waiting for the drones to come back since the Starbright holiday show at Disney Springs. Did you,
1: did you get to see that during its run in 2016? Oh, yeah. It was amazing. It was well covered, well produced. Uh, it was a great start to see how drones could be incorporated into a Disney and, let's be honest, theme park environment. Lots mm-hmm. of room for uh, for improvement but I'm glad that they mm-hmm. did it when they did and Disney Springs at that point I think 2016 was when it really changed the focus of Disney and their holiday celebrations over to Disney Springs I think that was when they really started to they they do the Christmas tree romp through the the back end by mm-hmm. what is Christmas it Christmas tree trail yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And amazing stuff, but I think that was the year that people started to see Disney Springs as a destination uh, for the holidays. It
0: was the first time ever they really had a show that made people focus on Lake Buena Vista as opposed to the shopping area itself. I've talked with some friends at Universal Orlando, and basically what they've said is that there's a reason that the show... Shut down in Hollywood on August 11th, and that was, well, you know, we got to get serious about the mazes we're building for uh, Universal Hollywood's uh, Halloween Horror Nights for Hollywood. And so we couldn't have the drones flying over that area while we had workmen in after hours. And it was kind of the same thing here in Orlando that it was safety related, coupled with the fact that there just wasn't enough land backstage to do this properly. In fact, the Starlight Holiday Show out at Disney Springs, that was 300 drones. Yep. I haven't been able to get any a number solid number yet on the number of drones they used to do the Patronus in the Dark Art show at, at Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So I have to assume it's a significantly lower number than that because it's, you know, just this one brief effect in the show, but If you remember, when they talked about the original Disney Spring Show, there were people It's like, it's only four and a half minutes, and it's like, well, you know, it takes a while to fly the drones into position, and we got to bring them back and charge them up so we can only do two shows a night. But I I think a lot of us were kind of hoping that when Starlight Holidays didn't come back for the 2017 or the 2018 holiday season, we were kind of hoping, well, okay, we know we have this new Epcot show coming. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the little short video that showed the kites and yep. all that. So it's it's clearly not going to be the Epcot Forever show <laughs> if we're going to get drones.
1: Well, and, and one of the things to keep in mind mm. as we're talking about the differences between Islands of Adventure, the Wizarding World mm. there, and the Wizarding World in Hollywood is just go on Google Maps, do a quick uh, search for Universal Orlando, and realize that right in behind the Wizarding World in Orlando is Turkey Lake Road. And then you have the Dr. Phillips uh, High School. So there's not a lot of space to actually fully integrate drones right in behind, where in Hollywood, you have a little bit more flexibility. Out here in Orlando, you really kind of go from theme park to school. The one park that probably
0: will lend itself, at least initially, quite easily to the this technology is Epic Universe because for years, that 750 acres that they have, that there, there's going to be the one park and the two hotels, and that's pretty much it. Yep. But anyway, we, we were talking earlier about how Universal Orlando and uh, Universal Studios Hollywood are different animals. And I, I think in a weird sort of way, Halloween Horror Nights is a perfect example of that. Take, for example, this year's edition of the Orlando version of Halloween Horror Nights. That opened on Friday, September 6th. And I think, as you mentioned, that's the earliest that the seasonal hard ticket has ever launched. And yet, even with launching a full week early, there was still sufficient demand for tickets that, as you just mentioned, they added a 40-second night. My understanding, this is the first time they've done... A Monday, you mm-hmm. know, for Halloween Horror Nights. I think some of us are just horrified enough on Monday mornings that, you know, we don't need to be
1: horrified on Monday night. <laughs> well, and this is also the first year that we lost Rock the Universe.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is a true point.
1: Or sorry, not not lost. They rescheduled it to a, another time, which would allow them to start earlier, which would match mm. the, the Walt Disney World uh, Mickey's Not So Scary. And more more options is great.
0: Well, Mickey's not so scary. Remember that still starts in August, which I have trouble wrapping my head around. Okay, if we pivot to Southern California here, sure. now their uh, Halloween Horror Night didn't get started this year till September thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, rather appropriate date. Absolutely. We just talked about how Disney launched Mickey's Not So Scary, and you know, again, that's August, but that's that's kind of a different market. You know, obviously family friendly and. Do they still do the Shamu's Haunted Harbor or the SeaWorld has its own Halloween event, if I'm remember, remembering correctly? But again, that starts much later, doesn't it? Late September, early October, yeah, something like so right that? Yeah, so
1: that's their Spooktacular. Uh, Halloween go. Spooktacular runs weekends from September 21st through until the end of October. There so that's go. different okay. because it's, it's weekends. So they know Mm -hmm. what their their market is. Most of their market kids are in school. Mm -hmm. So why why wouldn't you just do it on the weekends? No, I get that.
0: I get that. But when you look at the Southern California market and you start talking about Halloween, Mm -hmm. it just gets crazy. I mean, we mentioned Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood started on September 13th. Very next day out in Valencia, California... Six Flags Magic Martin kicked off its annual Fright Fest on September 14th. Then just three days after that, over at the Disneyland Resort, uh, we got the Oogie Boogie Bash, which started up at Disney's California Adventure Park. And I don't know if you saw any of the coverage coming out of that, but the one thing that really was making people excited was the Donald and Goofy who were addressed? I'm blanking the name of the game with Sora. Uh, Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. Yes, you know. The, but the longest line in the park was to get the picture taken with these characters from the game. And I have seen photographs of the walk-around version of Sora, and I know Disney has it in their inventory. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of intrigued why, you know, we got the Kingdom Hearts Donald and the Kingdom Hearts Goofy, but where's Sora? I know he's (laughs) back in the... Uh, But anyway, all right, getting back to the California competition. Okay, so we got Not Scary Farm that began its 46th season. Wow. Uh, First one was in 73 on September 19th, just this past Friday. We then have Dark Harbor, which is held on board the Queen Mary out in Long Beach Harbor. That starts on September 26th, runs through November 2nd. Legoland, California does its Brick or Treat Saturdays. Uh, Those start on September 28th. Which, by the way, is the exact same day that Not starts up its Spooky Farm, which mm. is just held mostly on weekends, except for I think oh, there's one Thursday, the actual Thursday of Halloween, where it's presented in the park. But again, it's their kid-friendly Halloween event. You know, to sort of counter the fact that you know the park closes and then switches over to Scary Farm. You know, Universal is in the mix here, and if the the Disney variation holds. 70% of those folks are locals. Yep. They're driving in from less than 100 miles away. Only 30% of them are people who've flown in from other states or other countries to to experience this. So Universal has that much more competition, but it should count itself fortunate, because this year, the Warner Brothers Studio Tour, just up the street, did their Horror Made Here event, where you could tour certain sections of, you know, the, from Stephen King's It. And uh, again, you couldn't pay me money to do that. <laughs> but there was some reason they didn't do that this year. Though, oddly enough, they're, they're going to be doing a Gilmore Girls holiday event, which I, I thought was kind of intriguing. But anyway, Horror Made Here is supposedly coming back bigger and better in 2020. So, Universal out in California, in order to stay that much more competitive, that you know, to really appeal during the market. Have you heard about what what they're doing on Thursdays? Their 1980s throwback Thursday promotion.
1: Yeah, this brought me back to a a, a level of MTV uh, videos that I just didn't. As soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, nope, can't do it. I've seen those <laughs> videos. It's just, it's bringing back memories. They've got the
0: Stranger Things maze. They've got the Ghostbusters maze. So they've already got a great 1980s vibe going on. And they're going to have a DJ dance party, a live band, and supposedly Beetlejuice wandering the park, uh, which in and of itself sounds like a great thing. And by the way, though, again, uh, we were talking about how things tend to start that little bit later out in California because of the competition. And that actually, Grinchmas Mm -hmm. at Universal Studios Hollywood has the same issue. I mean, last year, the Southern California version of the seasonal hard ticket, uh, that didn't start till the weekend of December 2nd and 3rd. And then it stayed just as a weekend event, again, the weekend of the 8th and 9th, and didn't get started as sort of a daily entertainment event at the park till the
1: 14th. Oh, wow. And
0: they wrapped the Southern California of Grinchmas on Sunday, December 30th. They didn't even make it till New Year's, whereas the East Coast version of Grinchmas, which, of course, is, is held over at Islands in Seuss's Landing, that started as early as uh, Saturday, November 17th, and continued on. Till January 6th, I mean, you know, it, it started a full week, two weeks early and ran a week longer than the Hollywood, me, the Hollywood version. So again, two very different animals serving two very different markets in very different ways. Yeah.
1: And you and I, I remember our, our chat last year when we were going through uh, the differences between Hollywood and Orlando, and one of the big things to keep in mind that we brought up that kind of came true was the fact that there's a lot more competition for the scare actors out there Mm -hmm. Uh, you're getting not just the orlando version where there's two options maybe three if you want to throw in uh some of the the lesser known experiences but out there you've got folks who have been being a scare actor this is what they do every october and they Mm. pick one and that's what they do every single year so it's a very mm. different uh, different beast when you're looking at a staffing for some of these experiences very much so
0: and in fact it's it's funny you mention that because I remember uh, once interviewing the crew that manned not scary farm, mm-hmm. especially the ghost town section where they have these characters called sliders who literally uh, what they do is they run at you and they have pieces of metal on their knees. That they can land on, which allow them to to slide on their knees at great speed right up, you know, almost hit you. Yeah. And they have guys who've been coming back for 10 or 15 years because it's like, hey, Kay, they know how to do this without killing somebody. They really love this job. They really love scaring people, you know, just in fact they were... They talked a lot about how, yeah, you know, well, that one's a dental hygienist, and that one over there is a a pediatric nurse, and this is how they get out their aggression. That's a paralegal,
1: that's a... Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) We've talked at length here about, you know, the holiday season at Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal Orlando, and Dustin and I have our event that is coming up on November 15th through the 18th, and... We're going to be taking theme park fans on a walking tour of Universal Studios Florida and Universal Studios Island Adventure. We're going to be doing seasonal specific things like taking in a presentation of Universal's Holiday Parade featuring Macy's, not to mention the Grinchmas Holiday Spectacular of Rhode Island's. Dustin, as we we take folks around, we're also going to be sharing stories about uh, behind the scenes about the creation of the Universal Lando Resort. Plus, you're going to get to sit in on a live recording of this very same podcast, the Universal Joint Podcast.
1: Now, speaking of which, we'd like to give a lucky Universal Joint listener the chance to get in on this trip. So how about this? If you tweet the keyword Grinchmas which is kind of appropriate given that we've just been talking about it uh, both sides. um, But, you know, this is one of those things. Tweet the keyword Grinchmas to at Jim Hill Media as a direct message. And we will then enter you into a drawing for a three night stay for two people at the Lowe's Sapphire Falls Resort at Universal Orlando, November 15th through to the 18th of 2019. Please make certain it's a direct message to at Jim Hill Media. Otherwise, you won't be entered into this drawing. And just keep a note that the winner is responsible for their own travel accommodations. More importantly,
0: none of this would be possible without the kind folks over at Storybook Destinations. So please head over to StorybookDestinations.com slash Disney Dish, where you'll learn even more about what we have planned for this on-site event, which again is being held November
1: 15th through the 18th. Now, the drawing for this contest will be held on Wednesday, October the 16th. We will tweet our lucky winner, who will then be awarded tickets to the parks and a hotel room for the length of the Universal Joint event, plus entry into all of the tours and the live podcasts. All they'll have to do is find their own way down there to the Universal Orlando Resort.
0: Official this contests are posted over at jimhillmedia.com if you have any technical questions about the contest. But again, the key word from today's show is Grinchmas. And speaking of seasonal shows at the park, Jesus, and we spent all this time talking about the Halloween Horror Nights as an event, but we didn't get around to the specifics about any of the mazes or the scare zones that were assembled this year for Orlando or Hollywood. So... I guess we'll have to cover that on the next edition of the Universal Joint
1: Podcast. But until that show goes live... Where else can they find you online? So I'm over at steps to magic.com, uh universal and disney trip planning. I tell people I write about cupcakes for a living, so it's it's good fun. Uh if you are thinking about heading down to Universal, it's always good to know about tips, tricks, that kind of thing. I'm also on the We Like Theme Parks podcast. It's basically three guys talking about how much we like theme parks. But when we're looking at it, We've got a lot of podcasts here on the uh, on the network, right, Jim? Let me see if I can remember them all. We have Disney Dish with Len We
0: have the marvelous Disney podcast that I do with Aaron Adams about Marvel Studios. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm that I do with Dan Zare. Likewise, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, where we do all sorts of animation news. And we even have a Disney merch podcast called I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. Uh, if you get over, head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show if you get to to Bandcamp and subscribe that would be helpful we will try to be back with a brand new show one that talks and gets into specifics about this year's Halloween Horror Nights till then, take care folks and thanks for listening it's been Groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint tune in again for this
1: and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network